The old city of Jerusalem is one of the most fascinating places on planet earth, and it is a place of great spiritual significance to Christians. It is where Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected, and it is where He is going to return to rule over all the world. Stay tuned for a visit to the city. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Over the past few weeks, we have been taking you on a pilgrimage through the Holy Land. We began in Tel Aviv at Independence Hall. From there we journeyed up the coast to visit sites like Caesarea Maritime, the Roman capital during the time of Christ. Our third program focused on the area around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus had the headquarters of His ministry. The fourth week we visited the city of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. Our fifth program focused on two amazing archaeological sites in Israel, the ancient fortress of Megiddo that uh, guarded the Valley of Armageddon, and the city of Bitshon, both the ancient city on top of the tail and the Roman city at the base of the tail. During week six of this series, we explored the Mount of Olives from top to bottom. And in this program, we are going to take you into the old city and show you some of its sites, starting at the Lion's Gate in the Muslim quarter and ending in the Jewish quarter. We are entering the old city through the Lion's Gate that leads into the Muslim quarter. It is located on the east side of the city. This is the gate that the Israeli army broke through when it entered the city in the Six-Day War in 1967. Although the gate leads into the Muslim quarter, it is immediately adjacent to a beautiful courtyard that contains a Crusader church. The church is called the Church of St. Anne, named for the mother of Mary whom the Crusaders believed was born in a grotto under the church. The interior of the church is all stone, and thus it serves as an echo chamber for singing. Church of St. Anne is the Pool of Bethesda, which you can see here in the foreground. We conducted a devotional at this site. The scripture passage I'd like to share comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 5. So that's the passage, John, chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, if you'd like to look it up. And while you're looking it up, I wanted to just say a, a couple words, if I may. It was always a great honor for me to serve the men and women of our nation as a chaplain. And one of the things that I wanted to always do with those precious men and women, sons and daughters of our country, is to let them know how special they were in the eyes of God. And one of the ways that we in the military, we show that is through something we call a salute. And I just wanted to have the privilege before I have uh, 
no other chance to do this, is to acknowledge all of you sons and daughters of God our Father who are warriors of the cross, which is a battle far greater than any battle ever fought on this earth. And so, to all of you, warriors of the cross, you have my salute. So then he goes to the temple, and Jesus finds him in the temple. And to me, this is where the miracle of the pool of Bethsaida actually took place. Not here, but in the temple. Because it was there that Jesus found him and said these words, Stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. You know, yes, it's so important to receive physical healing, but we all know it's not physical healing that's the most important. It's that spiritual healing. It's that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's choosing Christ and then living righteously. That's the healing that the world needs, that Israel needs, that our country needs. It's to stop sinning. After walking through the old city on the Via Dolorosa, the traditional path that Jesus walked to the cross, we have come to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is the Catholic site of the crucifixion. The interior of the church is dark and dreary and very ornate. Six different Christian groups have claimed various parts of it and are constantly in conflict with each other, presenting a terrible image of Christianity to the Jewish people. The focal point inside the church is this very ornate structure which is the supposed tomb of Jesus. Before proceeding to the Jewish quarter of the old city, we decided to visit Mount Zion. In the time of Jesus, this area was inside the walls of the old city, but when the walls were rebuilt in the 1500s, the architects decided to leave this area outside the walls and pocket the money that was supposed to have been spent. They paid for that mistake with their lives, and their tombs can be seen today just inside the Jaffa Gate on the west side of the city. The Zion Gate that leads from the old city to Mount Zion is heavily pockmarked due to ferocious fighting that took place here during the Israeli War of Independence in 1948 and 49. One of the sites on Mount Zion is the upper room where Jesus and His disciples held their last supper. This room is not authentic. It dates back to the time of the Crusaders, but the location is authentic. Directly below the room is the site of the tomb of David. Neither the tomb nor the site is authentic. The Bible says that David was buried inside the city of David, which is far to the south of this location. I've uh, asked Bob Wilder from St. Joe, Indiana to um, read the 23rd Psalm for us. And the reason we're doing that here in this particular setting is because just behind a wall over here is the traditional site of the tomb of David. Now, it is not the real site of the tomb of David. David, we're told in the scriptures, was buried in the city of David, inside the city, which is very unusual. Probably had some special tomb for the kings, and that's quite a distance from here. But the Crusaders established this particular spot, and it has been the site of the tomb of David ever since that time. So people just come here to pay homage to David, and every time I bring a pilgrimage group here, I try to have somebody read the 23rd Psalm. And I've asked uh, our brother from Indiana to do that. So, Bob, 
What does that 23rd Psalm mean to you? The 23rd Psalm is very special to me because uh, back in 1963, my father had uh, developed a, a severe infection that uh, resulted in emergency surgery. He was in intensive care for 30 days and uh, unconscious for 29 of those days. He had memorized the 23rd Psalm as a child, and he started saying that as he regained consciousness. And when he was able to say the entire 23rd Psalm, he knew that his mind was going to be clear. So at this time, I'd like to have you all stand and Join me as I uh, read the 23rd Psalm and ask you to recite that with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our next stop is in the Jewish quarter of the Old City. There is a beautiful plaza in the center of the quarter where people gather for fellowship. We stop there to rest and reflect on our day. Well, we have come to the end of our day of walking through the old city of Jerusalem. And I'm sure that most of you at this point will understand why one of the most popular t-shirts you see in the old city is one that says, I walked my feet off in Jerusalem, because we did that today. We started on the Mount of Olives. We came down to the Kidron Valley. We uh, started in the Old City at the Lion's Gate. We walked all the way across the Old City from the Lion's Gate to the Jaffa Gate, took a break for lunch, came back to Mount Zion, came through the, uh, the Zion Gate and into the Jewish Quarter. And now we are here in the Jewish Quarter. You've seen each quarter except the Armenian. The Armenian Quarter, the Armenians are very reclusive. They've built a wall all around their buildings and their churches. They don't want anybody interfering with them, so there's nothing to see there. But this Jewish quarter is amazing. It is all brand spanking new compared to the other parts of the city. And the reason for that is that in 1948 and 49, there was fierce fighting here to control the Jewish part of the old city, and the Jews lost it. So the Jordanian forces conquered all of the old city in the war of 48 and 49, and then they came in here and systematically destroyed the Jewish quarter. They destroyed all the houses. They blew up all the synagogues. This is one of their great synagogues right here. They blew it up. We have movies of all this. They just totally destroyed it. So in 1967, when the Jews reconquered the city of Jerusalem, they came into this area and started to rebuild. But before they did so, Someone said, let's dig first. And so the whole rebuilding of the Jewish quarter was held up by archaeologists who came in and did archaeological digs all over this area before they started rebuilding. And every one of these buildings you see, every one of them, are built over archaeological uh, excavations. And in many of them, you can go in and go down in the basement and see the amazing archaeological excavations. But they rebuilt the city, and that's why it's so new. And uh, they rebuilt their great synagogue. 
And I love to come to this place because right over to my right is a major plaza. We're right here in the center of the, uh, of the uh, Jewish quarter. And I love to come here and sit and eat lunch on my free day and watch uh, people dance. Right now that's not going on because this is the eve of the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath eve, all of the Jewish quarter closes down around 2, 3 in the afternoon. They don't wait until the Sabbath starts. They close early. So almost everything here is closed. But on a regular day, you can come here to this square, and you can sit there and watch people playing musical instruments. You can see even rabbis dancing in the streets. It's really wonderful. They, they join hands. They dance. They sing. And it always reminds me of a glorious passage over in the book of Zechariah. Remember, Zechariah had already written after they came back from Babylonian captivity. So he's talking about something's going to happen in the future. And listen to how he describes what it's going to be like one day. He says, Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with a great zeal, with great fervor I am zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, all men and all women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east, from the land of the west. I will bring them back, and they will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. It shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent. So again, in those final days, I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. And then he ends with this. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. And then the last verse, which is absolutely incredible. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days... Ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man and say, Let me go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. That will not be fulfilled until the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. But just think about it. We live in a world today where the Jew is despised, hated, cursed, where the Jew is hunted down, killed. But in the days of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord will go forth from Jerusalem to all the world. The radiance of the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told that the nations will send representatives each year here to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And so great will be the blessings flowing from Jerusalem through the Jewish people to all the world that when one Jew walks by, ten Gentiles will grab his robe and say, let us walk with you because we know that God is with you. The world's going to be turned upside down in its attitude toward the Jewish people. Our last stop of the day is at the magnificent Western Wall Plaza, which is the spiritual focal point of modern-day Judaism. This area became a holy place because it is the closest the Jews can get to where the Holy of Holies in their ancient temple was located on the top of the Temple Mount. 
Okay, we're standing here now in the uh, big plaza in front of the uh, Western Wall in the United States. They often refer to it the Wailing Wall, but never over here. It's called the Western Wall. And this plaza did not exist before 1967. What happened was that um, over the years, the Jews would come to this area to pray at the wall because it's the only place they could come. Buildings were built right up to the wall, like that building over there, right up to the wall. And uh, this was true all around on this side and on the north side and on the east side, the outer wall. This is the inner wall of the Temple Mount. On the east side, they couldn't pray there because it's a Muslim cemetery. Uh, on the south end, there were buildings built up. So the only place they could pray was in an alley over here. All this where we're standing was covered by houses, and the houses went right up to about six feet from the wall, and there was a narrow alley, which for hundreds and hundreds of years is where the Jews went to pray. And uh, one of the reasons they prayed here was not only because this was the only place they could get to that wall, that retaining wall, but it was the closest area to what they considered to be the Holy of Holies, because the temple would have been located up on the Temple Mount, and the Holy of Holies would be at, at this back side uh, probably somewhere over in that area, but this was as close as they could get. When the War of Independence ended in 1948-49, the Jews lost the city. The Jordanians took over the city. Part of the, part of the armistice agreement, part of the armistice agreement was that the Jews could come to the wall and pray. But as soon as they signed the document and they secured the city, no Jew was allowed to come here for 17 years. Nobody allowed to come here to pray. And so on, in June 7, 1967, when they conquered the city, one of the first things they did was to come in and bulldoze out all of the buildings in this area. And they opened this big plaza where they have national celebrations, military celebrations, and they also cut the plaza down. If you look over at the wall there, you can see that there is a dark area about six foot tall. That's where the, that's where the, uh, uh, the floor was at that time. They cut it down about six feet, but that is not even near the first century. That wall goes down another 60, 70 feet below that. That's much debris has been pushed off. And uh, so there's a long way you have to go down to get to where it was in the first century. So today, this is an area where people come to pray. There's one for the women on that side, one for the men on this side. The men must have their heads covered to go up to the wall. And in a few minutes, we'll give you an opportunity to go there and pray. But first, you notice that all these flags around here. In fact, we happen to be here a couple of days before the celebration of Independence Day. And they've been replacing all these flags with new ones. They're getting clatter in the background as they're getting ready to put up stadiums for people to sit. They're going to have big celebrations here. And I thought it would be good for us to pause for a moment while we have all these flags around us for Gary to tell you the prophetic significance of the Israeli flag. Hmm. Thank you, brother. Uh, in May of 1948, uh, we have already reviewed the history where they were going to start a new nation called Israel. And everybody knows if you're going to have a new nation, you have to have a flag. One of my favorite teachers, Zola Levitt, said one time, wherever, wherever three Jews were gathered, there were at least 10 opinions. Yeah. So one of the things they did on that Independence Day down in uh, Independence Hall on May the 14th, 1948, was discuss a flag. So if you get all these Jewish people in there, they, they were arguing and this, that, and the other. They wanted to put a menorah on the flag. They wanted to put a fig leaf on the flag. Lion. But I am going to tell you today and serve you notice that 2,500 years before that day, God had answered what was going to be on that flag. And you will have to turn in your Bibles later, but that, uh, that little story is in Isaiah 11, 
it says in verse 10, in that day there will be the root or the growth of growth of Jesse who will stand as a flag. My, this Bible says banner, that Hebrew word is flag, to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him and the resting place will be glorious. It will come to pass in that day the Lord will again set his hand the second time that sets the framework, the time frame for this flag. Uh, the first time they were dispersed from the nation was Babylon. But this is going to happen when the second time they are come back to land. That is today. Uh, and so uh, it says again in verse uh, 12, he will set a flag for the nations, assemble the outcast of Israel, gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now I've passed over a little point that i got to go back to. It says in that day, verse 10, there shall be a root of Jesse who will stand as a flag. What's on the center of this flag? The star of David. Who was David's father? Jesse. Who is the growth of Jesse? David. God answered this story for them 2,500 years ago. And at the end of the day, with all that argument that went on, they settled on the star of David being on the center of that flag. And it serves as a banner today that the Jewish people are being gathered back to this land. Uh, eventually, they're, they're going to be here to do exactly what God called them to be, and that is to be the head of the nations. Yeshua will be here as their king. He will rule over them and over the Gentiles as king of kings and lord of lords. That flag waving is telling us we're living in the days that that was going to happen soon. Today would be a good day with me. Amen. Amen. Well, part of that uh, compromise that they made that day is that uh, they decided the menorah would be the official legal symbol of the state. And so on all state stationary, you have a menorah at the top. Mm. They agreed that the lion of Judah would be the symbol of Jerusalem. So the Jerusalem flag looks just like the Israeli flag, except it has the lion of Judah in the middle. And they agreed that the star of David would be the symbol on the flag. The flag also is designed to look like a prayer shawl. It's the only flag in the world designed to look like a prayer shawl. When you go up to the wall, you will see men wearing prayer shawls. They're white and they usually have blue stripes. So it is designed to look like a prayer shawl with the uh, uh, root of De uh, Jesse in the middle just as prophesied over 2,500 years ago. We live in exciting times. One of the traditions here is to write prayers on a piece of paper and stick them in a crevasse in the uh, wall. So I'm going to go up now and do that. Okay, I am now at the wall and I am putting my piece of paper in a crack here in the wall. And I am praying in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach that uh, the day will soon come when the veil will be lifted from the eyes of the Jewish people and they will cry out, Baruch haba Bashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the remnant of the Jewish people will be saved to the everlasting glory of God, that they will look upon him whom they have pierced and weep and will and mourn as one weeps over the loss of an only son. And on that great and glorious day, the great remnant will be saved. And that will happen, of course, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. So I cry out from the bottom of my heart, Maranatha, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And it's appropriate to back away from the wall and then to turn and walk away from it.
Having made 45 trips to Israel, I thought I would share with you some thoughts about why I think it is important for Christians to make such a pilgrimage. The first reason relates to the fact that Israel is the only land in all the world that is referred to in the Scriptures as Holy Land. Now, one of the key meanings of the word holy is to be set apart. And Israel meets that qualification. It has been set apart by what has happened there in the past and what is going to occur there in the future. It is where God became flesh in Jesus of Nazareth, and it is where Jesus spilled His precious blood for the sins of mankind. It is where Jesus will soon return, and where He will reign over all the world. The land of Israel is the center of the cosmos because it is where the battle between God and Satan is focused. It is the center of the nations because the fate of the world hangs on the fate of this land. All the nations of the world are supernaturally obsessed with it. And the Bible says that in the end times all the nations will come against it. That prophecy is being fulfilled before our eyes. When you stand on the Mount of Olives and you look out across the Kidron Valley at the ancient city of Jerusalem, you can sense in your spirit that you're at the center of history. You can spiritually discern that you are standing on the most sacred real estate on planet earth. It is an awesome and humbling experience that will draw you closer to the Lord and motivate you to develop and maintain an eternal perspective. That of course is all very subjective and the intensity of the experience can vary from person to person. More objectively, A pilgrimage to the Holy Land will bring the Bible alive to you in a very special and meaningful way. Never again will Jaffa, Capernaum, Jericho, and Jerusalem be mere words on a page. Rather, they will be vivid geographical locations that live in your heart because you have actually walked their streets. The mere mention of these places will cause a mental image to spring up into your mind and you will have a sense of the town's size, its location, its relation to other sites. Likewise, the historical reality of Jesus will become more meaningful to you as you walk where He walked and see and sense what He experienced. For example, it is awesome to stand in front of the garden tomb and reflect on the meaning of His resurrection. You will marvel that a man who had no money no political power, and who preached for only three years in a tiny country without the aid of radio or television could change the history of the world and impact the lives of countless millions. You will get a feel for His humanity while appreciating even more profoundly His divinity. Finally, a pilgrimage will also force you to take a hard look at yourself and your relationship with God. You will find yourself searching your soul and reviewing your commitment to Jesus. You will sense a call to stop playing church and to get serious about your relationship with Jesus. Perhaps the best summary statement I have ever heard about the impact of a pilgrimage to the Holy Land is the one that said, it converts the Bible from black and white into technicolor. Well, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you and I hope you will be back with us next week when we will continue our pilgrimage through the Holy Land. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministry saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Are you interested in more fascinating information about Jerusalem? You can obtain it in this video album titled Insights from Jerusalem. It contains three programs that run a total of 75 minutes. All the programs were filmed in Jerusalem and all feature the teachings of Dr. David Reagan. 
The first of the three focuses on the prophetic significance of the Eastern Gate. The second tells the amazing story about how God fulfilled the prophecies that the Hebrew language would be revived from the dead in the end times. The third program is one of the most popular we have ever produced. It follows Dr. Reagan as he walks through the old city of Jerusalem and describes the sights. This album can be yours for a gift of $15 or more plus shipping. To order, call the number you see on the screen or you can place your order through our website at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 